Greg uh, Koch. Coke? Coke. It's the Beervana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, Professor of Economics at Oregon State University, and with me as always, Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including Beer Bible. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Uh, I was kind of going... People couldn't see your face, but you gave me a very (laughs) Cheshire cat look there that I could not interpret. Uh, yeah, well, I always think about throwing in other books or discussing the volume two aspect or, of the beer Bible, and, but I just played it straight this time. I just read it straight. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You Someone know what? Has arrived. Well, yeah, that's right. I was, we have to have our, our weather chat. I can't remember when we last recorded, but there was a period of three days when we had insane heat, which I didn't like, but now, now we're back to a glorious Portland weather with clouds in the morning. It just finally cleared up. According to my computer screen, it's 68 degrees out. That's it will, it will, week. It, it'll, it'll warm up by five o'clock, six o'clock tonight, maybe, maybe 78. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we had a super heat wave over the last weekend, but nothing compared to last summer. So uh, I just reminded myself of that. It was like high 90s. And it was, days. and it was three days and done. It was three days and done. It wasn't too humid, so it was, it was manageable. Uh, but it was like four or five days ago that we had the 116 degree heat dome day that almost killed every Portlander. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because we can't handle it. Well, anyway, no one can handle that. Uh, but yeah, it's been delightful. It's uh, It's been an amazing spring for growth of things, including just about everything that grows on my property, which means I have so much work I have to do. I've got to get out the trimmer and try to hack all these bushes and shrubs and grasses and oh my gosh so that's i mean it's too much of a good thing i suppose i'm not gonna complain too much but uh so we're getting into the deep weeds here but uh you may have noticed when you came in that we have re-landscaped our front yard a process that's been going on and our big scheme so if anyone's been to the oregon japanese garden Mm -hmm. you know that they have all these areas where They've cultivated moss mm-hmm. uh, as sort of like a lawn, but it's moss. We're trying to do that uh, on a half of our front yard. And we, we actually did pretty well at cultivating the moss. But what that means is until there's a pretty thick bed of moss, the weeds go crazy. So I'm out there weeding constantly. And the, and the, you know, the torrential rains have just been feeding the weeds. So it's, it's been a very active and amusing uh, spring for me. I was going to say, in Oregon, you don't have to work too hard to grow moss. In fact, most of my back yard's lawn in the winter is basically just a big moss moss field and then in the summer the grass kind of takes over a little bit and then it yields to the moss again in the winter it's an interesting uh, seasonal transformation it's exactly why we thought it was leaning into the moss that's what we got uh yeah i guess you just have to be careful of the direct sun huh? <laughs> no problem uh we we have a, a lot of canopy here so it's not a big issue so uh we went to the timbers the other night Go Timbers. Go Timbers. So it seemed to be horribly, horribly, horribly refereed. And I I looked around and there was no mention of that. Is that, yeah. So that is that, is that typical? Uh, Just for those. I thought it was a particularly poor performance, the referee. And he got into the problem where you give a lot of yellow cards to begin with and then you get stuck. And of course it ended up in a red card and changing the game. Yeah. There were these phantom fouls that not only uh, were called fouls, but in many cases, got yellow cards. Yeah, and it was just—it was really weird. It, it blew was up, weird. Threw off the rhythm of the game. It was quite odd. Yeah, but. it became a real chippy and, and, and game without flow, and it, it wasn't the best. But the Timbers won, so you know. Yeah, Yay. it was actually a fun game, but um, but there was that was just weird. And I guess having just watched the NBA Finals, which was a really well officiated. Uh, sporting event um i was surprised at how, how bad it seemed to be and i don't know anything about soccer but yeah, like, i mean, didn't even touch it and you've a yellow card what yeah the thing about soccer in general and so i'll also defend refereeing in general here this is really hard because it's just a game that constantly flows and it's all these interpretations of laws that are subtle and you have to cover all these yardage around and i mean uh, the the level of refereeing is, is poor in a country where we don't sort of cultivate refs from the beginning and don't have that same kind of culture in other countries, I suppose. But it's also just a really difficult task. So I do feel for referees a little bit, and it's 
Uh, you can get yourself stuck like this guy did, uh, being a little too officious to begin with. And then it's like, dang, <laughs> now and I have to stick with this. And if you call a yellow card, if you have a guy a yellow card on a really weak little penalty, then you kind of have to do it on the other team and then it escalates and gets out of hand pretty fast. Exactly. I, mean, I think there are maybe eight yellow cards by halftime or something. So that was a little crazy. Uh, by the way, the next morning I had to give a talk at a conference in downtown Portland. That's right. How did and that go? I, well, was, uh, that went fine. Yeah. Uh, but as I was walking to the to the conference hotel, the uh, Houston Dynamo team that they played last night were exiting their hotel. So I kind of gave them. Did you speaking of Cheshire crack, cat grins? I was like, ah, oh, you didn't get you didn't you didn't give them the, uh, a little uh, a little army cheer there. Oh, no. a little <laughs> army cheer. No, I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, instigate any kind of team on fan violence. That, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so what, what are we, Philadelphians? No, no. Exactly. We're yeah, we're classy. We're classy. I just give them a little wink. Good game. <laughs> Good game British. last night, guys. Very British of you. Good game. <laughs> well, I mentioned the Timbers because uh, in the process of of uh, going to the Timbers, we stopped off at uh, Von Ebert Brewing in the Pearl District. We did indeed. Uh, and uh, sampled some fine beers there. It was kind of an interesting episode because their little ordering system had crashed. Their, the, the computer that tells the, the uh, uh, kitchen what to, what to make. So they were struggling with that. But they got it back online and all things were good. But I mentioned that because today we're going to be talking about Portland, uh, which has many breweries. Old breweries, new breweries, big breweries, small breweries, but which amongst this dense thicket are the best? For visitors to Portland, it's an important question, and we're here to help. Well, Jeff's here to help. Uh, this past no, week, you're helping out, man. I want you to <laughs> this, this is the value added. <laughs> this past week, Jeff posted his annual best Portland breweries list. Woohoo! Uh, everyone waits uh, for months that to come out yes we'll go I, I know they do i'm yeah. certain they do yeah we'll go through it and discuss uh the breweries he chose and whether his choices are correct all that soon but before i before i before i transition to the news i will say that breweries take this stuff seriously you you can pop into breweries and they'll have a little beer vana says we're good sign up yeah the smaller the brewery the bigger the attention is uh it's i i wouldn't be I would be very surprised if Breakside, uh, for, to, to foreshadow one brewery that no one will be surprised is on the list. I would not be surprised they, if they could, you know. They don't talk so much about their GABF gold medals, but they do talk about the Birvana right. stamp of approval. So anyway, so uh, yeah, so we we, uh, we did our own little one-stop brewery tour uh, on Wednesday. And today we're going to talk about your extensive tour of breweries and which you think are the best. So we'll do that soon, but first, let's talk about the news. We'll start with huge, bizarre, completely unexpected news. How's that for a teaser? And news that will affect you in a deep and meaningful way. The uh -oh. two Los Angeles universities, charter members of the athletic conference to which they belong, are departing the Pac-10 for the now absurdly named Big Ten Conference. Well, it's the Pac-12, but it will be the Pac-10. Yes, Pac-12. Sorry, I even had that in the script. Accurately. <laughs> this is either good news for your Oregon State Beavers, who now find themselves uh, with less competition, or terrible news for a small program in an outwithering conference. Uh, I, this, this came across the pike yesterday I was gobsmacked. I, it blew my mind. People were referring to it kind of obliquely on, on uh, Twitter, and I didn't even know what the hell they were talking about. I'm like, <laughs> I came out of, what's happening? Completely came out of left field. Uh, I kind of know the backstory, oddly, on this. It has nothing to do with beer, but it has to do with well, broadcasting and broadcasting rights. And the Pac-12 was kind of struggling a bit, and so they brought in this new guy. I forget what his background was, like PGA Tour or something crazy, as I recall. And he decided, well, what we're going to do instead of like sh uh, uh, shopping our TV rights to some big broadcaster like ESPN, we're going to create our own little in-house network. We're going to put it in San Francisco and <laughs> where it's real cheap. And uh, uh, and it's been a total uh, and, and, uh, Yeah, that's. And so the broadcasting rights suck. And all of these teams that used to be big national powerhouses like UCLA at one point, once upon a time was a 
big major powerhouse in football as well uh, as basketball. Uh, USC, of course, has been big time. Multi multinational championship. Winner. Yeah. Uh, and um, they're not getting the revenues anymore. They're struggling in recruiting and facilities and all that stuff, I suppose, is what they're saying. And there's other movements like SEC, which is still expanding, going to bring Texas and Oklahoma. Is that right? Texas and somebody? Yeah, Oklahoma, right. Maybe that's yeah, right. They're going to go to the SEC. So the, 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 um, yeah, the poor, the poor the big, big 12. The that, big that's 12 the one that's is really, really struggling. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we're going to basically have two super mega conferences, which are the SEC and the Big Ten, which go Wisconsin Badgers, I guess is good for the Badgers. I'm not sure the Badgers are going to be super thrilled about hopping on a plane one weekend to Newark, New Jersey, and then another weekend to Los Angeles. Well, that's one wag mentioned on Twitter. Uh, you know, good luck. USC and UCLA kind of sucked lately. Going, in going into the, yeah, going into the big house or the horseshoe or Camp Randall in December. Yeah. Whereas any of those teams probably would love to make a trip down to Los Angeles in December. So I think uh, I think maybe the Big Ten gets the <laughs> the pick of that letter. I mean, just think about how logistically. So what they generally generally do is they fly the play if it's if it's far away they fly the players and then they. And then they have a big semi with all the equipment. And it's it's not like pro football. They have like 85 kids on a team or something, don't they? I mean, it's like yeah, a Yeah, I think the traveling day. squad's probably less. But uh, yeah, so that's big. So you got to have a big plane flight from Los Angeles to New York City. But you got to have your semi truck with all your equipment drive clear across the country. It's like 3,000 miles. This is just kind of nutty to me. Uh, so yeah, and then like the eight, the ACC, the Big Twelve, and the Pac Ten, the Pac Twelve are really shrinking and struggling. So sort of classic Pac, big big time powerhouse conferences in the past are becoming less so. I think it's bad for everybody who's stuck in the Pac Twelve, and I imagine place something like University of Oregon will look really quickly trying to pitch their wagon somewhere else, but we'll see. I think Oregon State is screwed. Yeah, so, <laughs> so in all of these conferences, you have uh, you have like three tiers. You have the bottom dwellers, you have the teams that sometimes do well, and then you have the, the powerhouses. And, you know, clearly these te these conferences, bought, you know, dumping all the best teams jumping out. I assume that can't be good for the teams left behind. Uh, so as a – you work for Oregon State University, uh, which is a Pac-12 team, and uh, the Beavs have not been a powerhouse in either basketball or football in a long time. They're really good at baseball. Um, but so how are you feeling about all this? Two big revenue sports are not so good. Oh, I mean, I'm not a huge uh, – I don't care too much about Oregon State athletics. Um, oh, man, it's a good thing you have tenure. <laughs> they pay me, but they don't. They, they, can't buy they pay my salary, but they don't buy my soul. So <laughs> I care about Wisconsin Badgers much more. Go Badgers. Uh, <laughs> alma mater. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's bad in general. It kind of um, uh, reminds me a bit of European football, too, uh, where you know the, the big teams tried to create their own league, and uh, international league, essentially, and just sort of ditched their domestic competitions. And... and it didn't happen, but basically there's just a bunch of really, 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 really wealthy teams, and then there's everybody else, and it's kind of like an afterthought. And I think that's kind of what, what's happening. And you probably want to go to a school in a big city, right? So like Eugene, probably, even though they have a really good program in football yeah. and basketball, it's probably not going to – it's probably going to punch below its weight relative yeah. to like University of Washington, which is in Seattle. Maybe. I think it can uh, cut both ways, though. So, for example, if you think you're going to – you could make good – money by going to los angeles because it's a big media market but it's also a very saturated one so there's two there's two nfl teams there and there's all kinds of other pro sports and stuff and so it might be a little bit easier to get like the car dealership in eugene to pay you to put that yourself on their billboard well sure if you're shooting for the middle but if you're if you think you're the the hottest stuff in college football it's true. Is Eugene going to be, are you going to be thinking, Eugene's awesome. I will dominate the local <laughs> Midlanta <laughs> Valley market. The local used car market. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the best, the best uh, uh, response or the best solution to all this that I heard years ago, I still think it's the right idea, is just, is just to basically arrange all of the college football teams in the U.S. into eight big conferences, regionally uh, coherent con conferences. 
um, each have have them each have their own championship, and then the champions of those eight conferences go into a knockout comp, uh, uh, tournament at the end of the season, and then we crown a national champion, the winner of that tournament. So, well, that's sensible and equitable, and we know that that in, in no way in no way describes the NCAA. Well, anyway, that's all the time we have for today on Sports Chat here with yeah. Patrick and Jaffa. <laughs> tune, in, tune in next week or go visit our other pod. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think, how can we make this a beer thing? Uh, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. They get they get good West Coast beer. They get in the good Midwest. West Coast beer. We get nothing. Midwest beer is pretty good too. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really no hook here. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to the realm of beer. Another important event happened recently. Japan's Sapporo Brewery announced it was acquiring San Diego's Stone Brewing. This is far from the first time a Japanese brewer has entered the United States. Sapporo also owns Anchor, but it is noteworthy because Stone founder Greg uh, Koch, Coke? Cook. 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 Yeah, I think it's Cook. I think it's Cook. <laughs> Sorry, didn't think about that before I read it. Has spent his career targeting multinational breweries, making what he called fizzy yellow beer. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. Stone's trajectory is quite a an epic novel. <laughs> an epic novel. I was gonna think of something else. Right, a multi generational epic. Yeah, <laughs> from arrogant upstart, big buzz brewery to massive brewery with big global aspirations to failing brewery with shrinking revenues and critically four hundred sixty four million dollars in debt, which is is a lot of debt. I don't care how big you are. That's a lot of debt. And it was apparently going to come due. And I think um, I think that was probably the, the thing that really forced uh, the company's hand. And <clears throat> I saw a bunch of stuff. Acquiring the debt. Yeah. I saw a bunch of stuff on Twitter uh, talking about how Greg was always a faker and he never really cared about hating big beer. It was just a way to sell, big, sell beer. And I actually think that's total hogwash. And I, I think you know, he I, he seemed to really <laughs> live that truth, whether it was helping him or hurting him. Right. But at a certain point, um, you you know, business is hard and you have to save the brewery. And it wasn't his only decision. He has got a board and important. Yeah. And, he's, and Stone's not the only midsize national-ish brewery, regional brewery that's struggling. Yeah, I think it was a, actually a great deal. Um, they got $165 million, got got rid of that debt. You know, Bagar handed the debt off, <laughs> um, and you know, Sapporo only has one of their holding here, so they're probably going to be pretty focused on the Stone brands. I don't know; it seems like a good deal to me, and I don't, I, I don't blame uh, anybody at Stone for making that decision. Oh no, no, not at all. Uh, do you think they're going to brew Sapporo beer in Stonesbury? They will. Yeah, they're going to brew about hundred thousand barrels there, and um, we met. We re- mentioned this a year or two ago when, it came, when the news came out, but. Um, Stone now, their flagship is now a Mexican lager, uh, if you remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Buena Beza or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, these plants apparently can make lagers. <laughs> 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 so it should be a big stretch uh, to put in some Sapporo there. Not just big face-melting IPAs. Huh? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I was going to see if I could sort of make a big point. But just, just these, these mid-sized, regional, sort of legacy big craft brewers, it's just it, it, the... The, uh, the turbulent waters are really, uh, t- it's tough to watch. Yeah, it, it really got me thinking, and I think I'll do a blog post at some point when I get my thoughts together, but there there are life cycles in any business, um, and breweries are especially good at surviving, uh, you know, over the course of, of years and decades in the way that many businesses aren't. So we actually get to see them kind of go through awkward adolescence and into, you know, they they go through these different periods. And if you look at European breweries that have been around forever, uh, they also do. So it doesn't stop. It just keeps going, you know? Yeah. Um, you may have, you may, you may dwindle to almost nothing and then figure something out or fashions change and then you come back. And, um, you know, for these big breweries right now, they're really unfashionable. And the kind of beers that they make uh, are often unfashionable in the case of Stone, old, yeah. old school West Coast IPAs. So, mm-hmm. It's just tough, and I I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if we would still have Stone as a as a powerful brand in a decade uh, that has found its footing and is back. So that stuff also happens. Yeah, and and we sort of mentioned this before, but you know, part of the the success of a craft brewery is building a good narrative and a good identity. But of course, 
that also kind of comes with an expiration date. On That's it, right. right. That can like, become a, a millstone around your neck. Yeah. So you so you sort of live and die by the same ethos, and unless you're kind of constantly reinventing yourself, it's very hard to. Hey, look at you with your stone brewing. I have a. I was given this twenty-five year T-shirt. This shirt, which it was twenty-five years, like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the German branch of Stone had uh, T-shirts they were having. Yeah, it <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, the Stone German Misadventure is another <laughs> another chapter in that long epic exactly. Stone story. By the way, woo, look what I have on. Oh, nice! It's a big reveal. I've got, cool. I've got the. I think there's only two ever made. Patrick's wearing a cool T-shirt of the Birvana podcast, and we're going to have to figure out a way some year to get those going. But it's going to have to come with a company that does fulfillment because we ain't doing that. We're not sitting around and with boxes mailing stuff out. Yeah, our 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 extensive staff are really busy with their normal jobs. We can't throw any more. That's right. Work onto them. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Portland breweries, man. Let's do it. So I'll just introduce this by saying that uh, I'm always impressed at how much you actually get yourself out to breweries in general. And I know you take this really seriously. So you do go out and visit breweries and try beers and uh, do often on multiple occasions. And so this isn't just impressionistic based on the last few years. No, no, I try to do it uh, so that it is accurate as of right now. And um, there's there's breweries that... In the past, we're not on it. There are breweries that uh, were on it that went off it and came back on it. This there's mm-hmm. one, one like that this year, and um, you know, they're they're you know, if, if Breakside has a really bad year, I could imagine that they might fall off the list at some point. Um, <laughs> not in any danger of doing so right now, but um, I really do try to keep it accurate. And you do have to go out to pubs and taste the beer and see what's going on. I think it's valuable to. Uh, Go, you know, not just drink packaged products, but actually get out because you want to taste the one-offs. You just kind of want to get a feel of what's going on. So I, over the course of the year, I try to drop in all the places that are kind of in contention. And then toward the end, if I have a bunch of bubble breweries, I go check those guys out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to go more than once. Um, it's tough work. It's tough work. And and the truth is, as a writer, there's a reason like why not very many individual writers do this. Yeah. And that's because... Well, it's a lot of work, but it's also, um, it does drive traffic, which is cool. Um, but also, you kind of don't want to irritate the breweries that you leave off. And right. so it feels, it, it feels a little risky to do this. Um, but I feel like, uh, you know, if you, if you write about beer, you should be able to say what you actually feel and believe in. Yeah, and, then, and the truth is these days that brewery, there's lots of exceptional breweries that don't make the list, but they're excellent as well. It wasn't always true. There that's used right. To be some lousy breweries in town. Yeah, but, that's right. But you really don't survive in Portland if you suck. So <laughs> this is just the creme de la creme. Doesn't mean the other ones are bad. It means the other ones uh, didn't quite raise to that level this year. Indeed. And just to mention some of the things that I consider as the metrics when I do this, because mm-hmm. you could, you know, what what counts as best? Anybody yeah, might have a different. You. Yeah, uh, I look at. If a brewery makes a, you know, if they have a classic beer or two that is considered a, a you know, a real peak, uh, either locally or nationally, or maybe even internationally. This is in terms of quality. Right. So yeah. if you've got, if you've got a beer that's won multiple awards and everyone considers kind of a standard for the style, mm-hmm. hard to overlook a brewery like that. Yeah. But I also consider breweries that have really mixed, like you, Consistency is also important. So, do you do all your beers taste good? Do you, yeah. you know, if you have one really good beer, but you're really inconsistent, that's going to be a big markdown. Um, and I, and I think also not just consistency, but just generally, like, are you able to make a lot of beers that seem to be above average? Mm-hmm. That that impresses me. Um, I do look at awards. Um, I don't really ever dock people who don't get awards um, because there can be a lot of reasons, including you don't enter. Uh, But if you win a boatload of awards, it's hard to overlook a brewery like that because these are blind competitions. (laughs) So if you just knock it out of the park, it's kind of important. Um, And then uh, I, I think there's a really evident, like, what is the word? ineffable quality of mastery and subtlety and accomplishment Mm -hmm. uh, that some breweries have that really distinguish them from other breweries that you you taste the beer and you think there's nothing wrong with this and it's actually pretty good but it 
doesn't just send me into paroxysms of joy. You know, there's, there's that, there's something here that's not quite a little hollowness. And then there's other breweries and we've talked about them. And I think some of the, the, the great international breweries, uh, crave beers that have this kind of mastery and, and success. So I look for all of that stuff and then I kind of weigh it against each other. And then, and then I, you know, I, I base it on what you're doing right now. Does it, uh, help or hurt? Um, well, let me rephrase. How much do you take into account, uh, sort of mastery across a number of different styles? Like, is it better to be, to have a great, show your, show your ability as a lager brewery and English ales and big IPAs and, you know, sours or something like that? It's a really good point. Um, I kind of look, and, and this year I, I divide them up into five different categories based on the kind of beers that they do. Uh, and so if you are known for a particular kind of beer style uh, and you do those really well, and then you're not really known for other beer styles and you I go to the tap room and I have those and they're not especially good, mm-hmm. I'm not going to knock the brewery down a huge amount right. in that in that right. way. However, there are a few breweries, uh, and maybe we should just start with that can of hell is right there all as, right as, that's yeah that's example. it's been it's been, it's been a while it's, true. it's been almost a half an hour we haven't cracked a beer so let's do it yeah uh so this is barracks chill hellas uh i know we did um and this beer is uh, this brewery is a brewery from a category called generalists and these are breweries that seem to be able to make beers of equal quality no matter what style they're working in um and it's actually really hard to do that, you know. Um, a lot of breweries are are good at certain things, and most breweries are good at certain things and not everything. Yeah. Uh, Barrelic really gets everything right. I think a lot of people consider Barrelic an IPA brewery. They make a bunch of IPAs, uh, and you know, they they do that stuff well. But they do they do a lot of stuff well, including this one, which I call out in the uh, in the in my Review, chill. It's one of my favorite breweries. It is a classic looking Hellas. We've got it poured in the dimple mug here, so it's catching the light really nice. Indeed. Light, bright. Lovely, toasty, malty nose, a little bit of graininess. Just a, 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 a touch of haze. A touch of haze, it is. A little honey color. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's lovely on the nose. Isn't it nice? Ah, it smells like summer. We're well, that's, at... that's got a really strong, lovely aroma. It does. Which you often don't find in Hellas. It gets too sweet. And then there's um, that lager. Ah. Oh, man. It's, just, it's exactly how I remember. I'm so happy when that happens. what you're talking about. When you taste a beer, you're like, ooh. Yes. Uh, by the way, it's it's also hard technically, uh, technologically, right, to be a, a great brewery that does all things because your equipment can right. be better suited for lagering or better suited for ales or right that's right so uh yeah so this is barelick for for those folks outside of town they have uh, now three locations um yeah we talked about this it's a trend like almost yeah so many breweries in portland now have outposts nine of the 14 breweries in my five categories here have multiple locations and uh yeah and, and some are I think probably going to have them down the line. Like they're planning on, just haven't gotten there. And and of the ones that have multiple locations, most have more than one other site. They have three or four. Right. Right. Uh, That's a big change in the last 10 years. Totally. Yeah, totally. Uh, It's amazing how many there are. Yeah, this is a fabulous, a fabulous uh, Hellas. And I've actually had two other fabulous Helluses recently. Mm. Tis the season. So I can I can compare, uh, and it compares quite favorably. Indeed. I mean, all three are excellent, but um, I'm speaking of the Freem, the Freem Hellas, which mm. now, and the yeah. uh, Rosenstadt, which is, I think, is a year-round. Right. Uh, both are excellent, um, and this is right there. So in my generalist category, I have two other breweries. Uh, Gigantic, our friends at Gigantic, which we talked about quite a bit. I don't know how much we need to go into them. Gigantic, I could have put Gigantic in the IPA, category uh because i think many people consider them an ipa house Mm -hmm. but in in this case i sort of wanted to um this this might be my one case of advocacy uh uh, placement um i feel like i feel like they do other beer styles really well they've got a kolsch uh and and a regular american stout in their in their 
standard lineup. Yeah. Uh, and they're really good beers. So if we just talk about them as an IPA brewery, I feel like some people might miss uh, those other. Yeah. Quality. And it's funny because their IPA, when they got started, of course, the IPA is the thing mm-hmm. that went crazy. But the Colts. And that was the only thing they made year round. That was the only one. Yeah. But their Colts is what I consider like their, their flagship beer to me is their Colts, which is fabulous and wonderful. And I know how much Van. That's right. Havig loves it. Man, man, listen to pod number whatever where Van Havig's there and they'll talk about it. That's true. Um, yeah. And Gigantic also are in the working on another outpost or yeah. it's done? No, working on. Yeah. Um, it's going to be on Hawthorne in the 40s somewhere. Right. So, And it's going to be a big – I think um, they kind of have two sort of provisional spaces, uh-huh. uh, although they're – uh, their second location has is, has wonderful food options, yeah. um, but it doesn't have the brewery. Uh, this one is going to be much more of a proper pub. They're going to have two cask engines. That'll be cool. Yeah, although the, although their cred even more. Yeah, their pub at the at the brewery has has evolved from a tiny little champagne lounge into a pretty remarkable space. That's right. right. They've a lot got of tables and a big patio area now with big big umbrellas. Which is at Southeast 26th and Gladstone, I think. Anyway, in right by Reed College. Right. Yeah, they. Um, we've seen that change a lot as a post-COVID thing, too. Many, many breweries now have a lot. They worked out a way to get more outdoor seating for COVID, and they kept it around. So, yeah. so my other one in this category is Ex Novo. Uh, Ex Novo oh, is a yes. small brewery that was set up as a nonprofit originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was cool. Everyone was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then the little brewery was just kind of a brew pub, not – anything special um in a slightly underserved section of uh portland not super far away from the rose garden in uh in uh the inner northeast actually i guess they're on the north flint so just over just over the border into the north um but what i what was amazing to me is they just continued and you and i discovered them kind of early on for their amazing uh, English ales ales, and they just kept going and they kept adding it. Then they added uh, lagers. And so they have um, a Mexican lager that's really famous and their uh, Pearl Haggard, which is their (laughs) words kind of famous. They also do sours. um, And then they do a a ton of uh, uh, other British styles. They even do like Belgian table beers and saisons. They often have on tap. So they really, they really, kind of play the play the field very well yeah that really impressed me and for the last few years they've been on this list they just i think you know they're the kind of brewery that people haven't heard about uh probably don't talk very much about them but they're really doing great work yeah uh, i agree always enjoy visiting them because there's always interesting beers yeah different beers on that's one of the things i can always count on all right we're gonna do loggers next uh uh, i'm doing this out of order so that we can so we'll do loggers, then we'll do wild and oak aged, which will get us to beer number two. And then we'll do traditionalist, and then we'll do hops to finish it up, and then we'll do our last beer. Okay. Does that sound good? That sounds good. All right. So in the loggers camp, this is going to shock no one in the <laughs> category, these three breweries. Um, Zoigel House and Wayfinder, of course. We've talked a lot about both those breweries. We've had uh, Alan Taylor on the podcast. Uh, they, Alan does a uh, he's a German-trained brewer lived in Germany, managed breweries in Germany before he came back to Oregon, Oregon kid. Founded Zeugel House, it's a lager-focused brewery that also does a fantastic Berliner Weisse and others. Other, like, he does a Kolsch and, and all beer too, but lagers, I think, are really what he's famous for, and especially his GABF gold medal winning Pilsner. Yep. Um, and Wayfinder, everybody knows Wayfinder. They won the perhaps most prestigious coveted yeah <laughs> the you're uh, on a podcast Pilsner Smackdown or whatever it was I guess it was the IPA Smackdown it was the Pilsner Cup or I don't know what <laughs> the IPA was the Smackdown yeah, yeah I don't know what the Pilsner was we'll have to a- a- ask him to show him show us his trophy so that's right that's right um of course Kevin David we were there also is the found is the guy who invented uh, cold IPAs which you find everywhere and it disappointingly is why everybody now makes a pilgrimage to Wayfinder. And I'm like, 
screw the cold IPA, drink the cold. Drink yeah, the cold. and they really, they love it. They just put that right on top. I know. They're steering people to cold IPA. Like, yeah. no, try drink, the, drink the Pilsner. Try drink the Pilsner, man. And just do these other In beers. Fact, the last time I was at Wayfinder. They do a great Hellas, too. Yeah. And the, but the, yeah, I almost always have the Hellas when I go there. And the last time I was at Wayfinder, however, the Czech Pils wasn't even on tap. Sometimes that's a supply thing. Do they have party time? Because uh, Yes, they have party time. So that's – I've never been there. They don't have one Pilsner on. Yes. Oh, no. They had a Pilsner. Okay. Maybe two even, but they didn't have the Czech Pilsner, which I was shocked. Yeah, and it probably just was that moment of supply. Uh, and the last brewery here is, is Von Ebert, which one <laughs> – we have two we have two. Uh, hey, they're not in larger category. Right. They won the big IPA smackdown. They did. And I think um, – it's funny that I put them in the lager category, but uh, but I think of them as a lager brewery. I know Sam Pecoraro, the head brewer there, kind of thinks of themselves as a lager brewery. We were there on Wednesday. They had at least four lagers on, maybe five. Um, and we were especially impressed with their Italian pilsner. Yeah, that was lovely. Uh, and it's it seems like every time I go there, I'm impressed with a different one of their lager. And uh, their regular pills is excellent. Yeah, yeah, it is. So they do they do fantastic work. They could many of these categories. You know, I could have put them in the IPA category. I put, could have put them in the uh, generals. If category. I was a younger man, I would have had yet another beer, which was would have been their Czech pilsner because I haven't tried that. Right, they call it Bohemian pilsner. I know there was a there was a moment, <laughs> but I'm an old man. I can't handle that. <laughs> there was a moment when we had an a, a little bit extra time uh, before the game and empty classes, and I looked around and thought, "Is someone gonna make the call? Is someone gonna make the call?" And no one did. I'm like, "That's that's the better decision." But <laughs> if we'd been younger, we'd been like, "Let's pound another one quick." I was a little bit wary of the fact that I had to give a talk at 8 a.m. the next morning. So. Indeed, fair enough. Okay. Let's move on to uh, the third category, which will take us to our second beer. Oh, okay. I better get on. So this is uh, Wild and Oak Aged, uh, and this is a category that Oregon actually does pretty well in. Um, outside of Portland, uh, there's famous Picard Brewery, which only does... Uh, a spontaneous fermented beer, and down in Eugene we have Ale Song, which seems to come home from every award ceremony with laden like a duffel bag full of metal. Uh, and in Portland we have two breweries that that started out focusing on these, and for various reasons, well, the popularity of IPA really uh, expanded into other things. One is Little Yeast, who we've talked about before. Uh, they have a wonderful tasting room in Southeast Portland. And they have shifted a lot of the focus of the wild program to their uh, barrel club. So some of the beers that are the most famous for them kind of have to sign up for Guardians of Funk to get in on that. But if you stop by the pub, you're still gonna find some barrel aged stuff. And they, both of these breweries do exceptionally well at. Well at oh, that's me, I think, excuse me. Uh, Pat. <laughs> a little feedback there, <laughs> technical error. Um, but they both do uh, really well at getting a lot of layered complexity mm-hmm. while keeping beers uh, very, very approachable yeah. and, and quaffable and not, I mean, they're exotic in a way, but they're not, um, they're not challenging. They're the kind of beer I would be happy to give to anyone who likes beer. Uh, and, and the other one, of course, I'm talking about is right? Uh, okay. And you know both those breweries now do other stuff, and Upright does a bunch of. Uh, they do Cascale, they do Loggers, they do uh, uh, even IPAs. But the first, the very first beer that uh, Upright ever brewed would, would be a Wild Ale. It was Billy the Mountain, uh-huh. and throughout their whole process, uh, they that has that has been kind of a big focus. It's Alex Ganum. Um, is as improvisational as Charles Mingus, who he named the brewery after, uh, and his upright base. And the one thing he always comes back to is barrel aged beer. So I think upright properly fits here. And we have an upright beer in front of us. Right. So what I just poured was Upright's Fantasia, uh, oak fermented beer from 2018 2019, blended over July flame peaches. July flame peaches? Yes. Wonder what that is. I have no idea. All right. I, was, I mean, I presume it's a type of peach. Some kind of peach. I knew it was peaches. <laughs> so, uh, I do have some idea, but all right, I can uh, 
deduce. So this is from a previous year. I'm not sure what year, but uh, uh, that was blended. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, I can't tell you. Yeah, it is not that important. Uh, except to say that uh, don't look for them. I'm not sure that this beer is available. Uh, uh, these beers, of course, have almost unlimited aging capacity. Yeah. So. Mm. It's very peachy on the nose. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So delicate, so balanced, yeah. so approachable. That's the thing. I think that um, uh, these sort of wild and <clears throat> wild ales or just blended sours, and, excuse me, I think people uh, uh, misinterpret that as being really puckery and, mm -hmm. and challenging. It is not at all. It's, it's, it's this beautiful mix of sweet fruit with a sour back that, that blends out. Yeah, if they're doing it properly, <laughs> they should be delicious. Mm -hmm. And not at all challenging like right <laughs> very drinkable extremely that the the sour with the sweet is just it's what you want right yeah absolutely uh there are there are breweries that make uh kettle sours or like lactobacillus sours which i didn't include in this category um we could have we could have talked about those breweries uh the two that i would recommend if you're interested in a kettle sour Fruited ale are ecliptic and, and ex novo does those too. So if you're interested in those, go to those brewers. You know what? I'll say something uh, mildly controversial. I'm getting a little, little, uh, uh, drinking a beer like this sort of brings this up. Um, a little, uh, I'm starting to get a bit jaded about kettle sours because I just find them too one dimensional often. Yeah, they are one dimensional, and I think that's fine, but they, that's why I didn't want to include them in this category. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're fine beers, but yeah, but every time I, I have one these days, I think about a beer like this in front of me. I think about the rich complexity that's involved, and I think, ah, just sort of missing that. Like, I get the sour note, but it's kind of a, a one note sour note. Yeah, I think the, the fruited kettle sours are awesome for creating little quenchable. Quenching beers, you know, the, the fruit is given, you know, acidity really helps frame the fruit and makes it more quenchable. Uh, but yeah, they're not, they're not super complex. They're not, uh, right. they're, they're pretty easy to make. These, the kind of beer like we're drinking right now, this is a pretty hard beer to make. Mm -hmm. Takes a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort. Yeah. I had an excellent one, by the way. This is sort of off topic because this is from Eugene, but Cold Fire in, uh, in Eugene sort of makes some really nice kettle sour uh, fruited beers. And I had a passion fruit one uh, when I was down there visiting my son. That was really delicious. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I would, I would have, like, if there was a Pacifico or a passion fruit sour on tap, I'd be like, yeah, which one of these? They're both going to hit the spot in, in a different but similar way. Yeah. So. Uh, okay, so that was Little Beast and Upright are your recommendations. Yes. For, for the best breweries in the wild and oak age category. And then we have our traditionalist category. Oh, okay, so define traditionalist. This is breweries that uh, focus on traditional styles of that they don't have to specialize although the first brewery i'll mention does uh but if it were um uh a brewery like uh dovetail in uh chicago that makes a bunch of franconian lagers mm -hmm. i would say that is a traditionalist brewery for example um they're, they're really focusing on making a kind of beer from a, a particular tradition right. uh, and not not a lot of innovation, sort of the opposite of the innovation. Okay, I see. Yeah, I, I get your point now. Then on this, in this bucket, I threw uh, in uh, Away Days, which makes its debut on our list. All right. Yeah, and it was and it and, and it was because I was drawn to their new level of accomplishment when we did our little hike. Yeah, and it was really just impressive how accomplished the two beers we had when we were there mm -hmm. and i've been back a couple of times since and i compared them with other breweries in that category and of course um they're traditional in that they may mainly make uh british ales you know they don't yeah. they don't uh they don't do a whole bunch of other stuff and the british ales they're making um are, are also on cask so they're they seem very traditional that way maybe not quite to the level of machine house up in seattle but in right. that um and i think they're doing amazing work uh, we, we interviewed them 
for our last pod or two pods ago, something like yeah. that. So you can, you can get yourself a good a good American IPA or a Pilsner there, but uh, but yeah, I would I say go for the go for the English ales. Totally, they're really good. And stay for the Pilsner or something like that. How <laughs> <laughs> <Or> that works? <laughs> or just have four pints of. Or just go, yeah, just just try everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other the other brew I have in here is Level. Interesting. And uh, they have a new brewery that's not far from my house, Level Three, uh, which is really funny that they call they call it Level Three. Um, they also have Level Two, which is in Multnomah Village on the west side. Uh-huh. And uh, man, they just they just love 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 their traditional styles. So they have a, a cask engine there. They always have something British on, always traditional. Um, they're up to like four or five loggers typically when I walk in there. Yeah. Uh, they also they really love the British style, so beyond what they have on on casks, they'll have other British styles. And these are like traditional, you know, they'll have, they had them, last time I was there, they had a mild, they had an ESB, mm-hmm. um, straight ahead, like their ESB was 5.2 or 3 or 4%, um, had hops, but didn't have crazy hops, it was very British. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they do, they're one of the few places you can find good Belgian beers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the only one, Basically, kind of the, and not, um, I mean, just regular sacrifices, not not Lambic style, but just, you know, if you want to say it's on or you want to, right. you know, a wit beer, I actually can't find some new beers around, but a, a, just a, a typical Belgian ale, yeah. uh, they're, they're likely to be the one that will have it. So, so what's interesting, yeah, is, is they're both, they focus on traditional versions of styles, but they also have an enormous range. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's probably got the biggest tap list I can think of. Any local brewery, they have yeah, yeah they have twenty beers uh, of their beers and have some guest yeah, beers on top of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. That's, uh, yeah, and they're almost always fantastic. Indeed. Um, all right, I'll do the transplants quickly, and then we'll come to the big finale with the hops. Now, okay. actually, like the hops are ones everyone cares about, so we should do the finale. So I did. It is, it's always hard to know. We talked about what's the best brewery. It's also hard to know what's a local brewery. So sometimes people will say a local brewery is any brewery that brews in town. And uh, uh, that's that's how, uh, like, the Oregon Beer Awards, if you're a, an out-of-state or out-of-country brewery, but you have a brewery here and you make a beer, you can submit it to the Oregon Beer Awards. So okay. it's always a little bit challenging. So when Modern Times was here. That's right. So they, Modern Times was would win Oregon Beer Awards. Right. awards. Uh, I have always said, if your main brewery is outside, if you're um, you know outside of Portland, even right. if you're in another part of the state, I'm not going to consider you here. Mm-hmm. And part of it was because of the first year I did it. Oregon breweries. And I thought, oh, this makes sense. I'm not going to give a slot to Deschutes in both Portland and Bend. Right. But then I quit doing that because it's, it's, it's so onerous and I didn't have time to travel the state every year. So yeah. then I was starting to feel like, kind of fishy. Because if you're in Portland and you don't know about Deschutes, you're probably missing one of the best breweries. So this is sort of fishy. So I, I, I included three breweries that I think you should definitely check out that are from elsewhere. They are Deschutes, which I've just mentioned, not shocking. Mm-hmm. A Ten Barrel, which many people will probably scoff at, it's owned by ABN InBev. Right. Uh, but Whitney Burnside is one of the best brewers we have in the city. She wins a truckload of medals, and everybody admires the hell out of her. Right. Uh, and she's one of our leading brewers. And if you don't go there because you don't like API, you, you're the <laughs> you lose on that score. She the chump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last one is a newcomer to the city, uh, former. Formerly Bellingham-based Chuckana, they lost their Bellingham brewery, and now they're down in the Skagit Valley somewhere. Uh, they opened a tap room in town, and so now you can get their amazing lagers here in town. Yeah, so that's cool. Have, have you, you been? I have been. I was going to say, have you been? No, I haven't been. We should go there, but I know I'll have to. They, now, now that summer has finally arrived, exactly. They're it's right. Time to start, it's time to start uh, stomping around and finding the new places. All right, uh, that leaves us with. Category everybody wants to know. Oh, that was very nice. I, think I talked over it. So. Uh, yes, hops. All right, let's talk about the IPA houses, baby. All right, um, I will. I see that you're grabbing our last beer, which was great. Yeah. Uh, well, I've already made reference to one of these brewers, which comes no shock to anyone. Breakside Brewing, <laughs> which 
I think. Very excited. Yeah, everybody, it's funny, outside of the city, uh, people know Great Notion really well. Like yeah. that's the brewery that the buzz brewery, the yeah. buzz brewery that everyone outside knows. If you're inside Portland, uh, I think I think if you're at all remotely familiar with what's happening, uh, you would consider Breakside as sort of the city's leading brewery. Whether it's your favorite brewery or not, everyone recognizes they're really kind of unparalleled in what they've what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and it's weird because people from outside the city come and they're like, "Oh yeah, Breakside. I think I've heard of them." They're a really big deal here, is my yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about them a ton. We've got that on. I don't know that I need to go too much further than that. But definitely go there if you want to see a brewery that's making classic Northwest-style IPAs sort of leading the way. That is a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of juiciness, but just a little bit of citrus. Just done perfectly. All in balance, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Uh, let's talk about... Let's go out of alphabetical order and, and talk about the one that we just poured because this is a new a newcomer on the list. And it is in many ways kind of the opposite because Breakside is this brewery's got six sites, the giant brewing team, mm-hmm. incredibly professional, a ton of analytics, like they are really dialed in. Yeah. The brewery we're drinking now won a, won a bucket full of awards all over. Yeah, so many <laughs> The brewery we're, we're uh you just poured out a threshold. Mm-hmm. They're out in Montevilla, way out in the east part of the city. Mm-hmm. And they are a mom and pop shop. And in fact, until fairly recently, like, you know, a year and a half ago, it was literally just them. And at some point, as COVID was winding down, they finally hired someone to help them out at the, the, the tap room. Yeah. And they may, have, they may have a little bit more help now, but they're <laughs> they not having a giant team. Um, but they're still making some of the best IPAs in the city. And just impressed the hell of me, including this one that we have here, Green Prophecies. This is Green Prophecies. It's a hazy IPA with Eldorado and Nelson Salvin hops. I said, hey, it's old school. <laughs> it's a right. throwback. <laughs> Nelson Salvin, how long? it's been a while since I've seen that. Uh, yeah, so let's try it. It yeah. is, it is uh, hazy, mm-hmm. but it's not like uh, milkshake hazy. It's just a nice, I don't know what the hazometer would say, seven, something. Yeah, seven. And kind of a comely. It's got that orange juice look about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, orangey straw. Orange Not, it's got a decent head. So many of these have no head in the gray. Or no, I shouldn't say so many. I think those are going away, but those are terrible. Yeah. So this is- Ooh. Ooh. Mm. I think this is a really good example of what they do well. Uh, it's... Uh, it's just a very drinkable, approachable beer. Yeah. It's got that really saturated flavor, not like right on top, but it's just saturated within the beer. It's very smooth, very uh-huh. pillowy, uh-huh. <clears throat> but it's got a nice bitter balance. It is in balance. Sally, who doesn't like any IPAs and even fewer uh, hazy IPAs, I was forcing her as my wing person. I was forcing you to do this a little bit too, but uh, to drink beers that I needed to assess mm-hmm. and she was the first one to get one of these and she just sucked it down she said, that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> and if she likes an ipa that really you know that really says something so uh they they make that like every brewery in portland they make more than one style but the things that yarek Szymanski, the the brewer there uh, along with his wife sarah uh, the beers that he seems to do really well with are IPAs and especially he's really good at hazy. So I think yeah. um, they're kind of a, a cool little hazy house that doesn't have all the buzz. But you can pop in and, and get some of the best hazies. And it's a it's a nice Montevilla the neighborhood there, and it's a nice little cozy place, kind of fun to go. Yeah. How would you describe the flavor? Like what what notes are you picking up? So in the can, it's a little bit different than it was in the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the pub, the the mosaic is a little bit more present in this one, so I'm getting a little bit more of the savory. I was getting this classic 1970s canned fruit cocktail flavor uh, when it was on draft, but not in a bad way, like especially right. people who are not old enough to have experienced that. Um, but it just had this in, intense fruitiness and a kind of creamy quality that reminded me of that too yeah but that's kind of how i'm that's why i was asking you because i'm struggling a little bit to just pin down one like it's like a fruity flavor 
I was going to say like lychee fruit almost. And yeah. that kind of, you know, that sort of sl- sweet but slightly indistinct, not bad in any way. Just like not, it's not like one orange or tangerine note that's just shining through, but it's lovely. It's kind of a mix. So yeah, actually, I think that even in the can, maybe not as pronounced, but you could use that. Yeah, I think and I think that's kind of the quality of the fruit cocktail. Right. You'd, you'd pull out a piece of fruit and it's like, ah, oh, this could be an apple, it could be a pear. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it's kind of the same thing on the nose for me as well. It's sort of, yeah, it's kind of fruity. I guess, yeah, lychee fruit is what I would, that's how I'm I think that's exactly it. right. Yeah, I think that's good. Maybe that's from the Nelson Savin. And I do think, so I don't get any of the muskiness that I sometimes get out of Nelson here, which is great. Yeah. And I, I do get that, you know, it's famous for having that white wine. I do, I do get some of that. Yeah, there is a, there's a bit of a white wine note, yes. Yeah. So... Very good. Um, so congratulations, guys. I know this that- is Threshold in Montevilla up there they- in like, you know, 70-something in Stark or kind of? Yep. They're just off Stark and I'm going to say 78. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 79, but you'll find it. Go it's find not- them, yeah. Yeah, it's, all this is on the block. Seek them out. Um, so moving on in our uh, up roundup, the... Uh, this next one is going to be just about as surprising as Break Sidewise. Great notion. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people, there's, these brewers are finally starting to get a little bit of blowback. Uh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. There's people are considering them a little bit gimmicky and <laughs> a cookie cutter. And I'm starting to see some not, not insignificant pushback. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the people who do like the smoothie salad, sours, the pastry stouts, and those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're a new brewer and you just want to instantly, cash in yeah um, you can adopt this model uh and i think try to you know try to get the buzz and get the untapped tick ticks going in your favor uh and i think that's legitimate i think that's a legitimate complaint it's a legitimate it was a le- you know there was a period of time when any brewery that opened up with this just got everybody said it was the greatest brewery in the world yeah and so now there's it seems to be kind of the opposite going Oh my God! Could you believe that beer can taste like this? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we had one of their cans recently on the on the pod, and mm-hmm. uh, exceptional. And when I've gone there, yeah, that's the thing. They're doing what they do very well. They're yeah. doing it a lot better than most breweries who are adopting this. Yeah. They're just really doing it well. So if you if you want to go to a brewery that makes these kinds of beers, you want to go to one that's doing it really, really well. And basically, no one's doing it in Portland at all, except Great Notion. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing it as well or better than 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 anybody in the country. So, you know, nothing but nothing but uh, praise for them. I think you should go check it out. If you don't like smoothie sours uh, and milkshake IPAs and pancake-flavored stouts, <laughs> it's probably not for you, but they're really good. They do them great. So. Yeah, but the, yeah, sort of, I mean, would you classify the New England-style hazy mm-hmm. sort of milkshake IPAs? That, that's, to me, that's there. Yeah. That's I what I would go for. Absolutely, and and like that that Juice Junior that we had, though they're really different than the yeah. I think than the New England. That that was a really citrusy, piney, which mm. just bespeaks Northwest to me. Yeah, and with enough uh, bitterness to, to yeah. create balance, which you often miss in the New England style. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, big uh, big props to them. And then the last one is one that you and I. So we've been you and I've been to a couple of these. Um, I don't know if you knew that I was dragging it there for this but, uh, but it's Roots, which is the brewery that, that, that I didn't have on last year. So I felt I felt last year like they, maybe they were not quite as good as they had been in the past. Mm. But they were bringing the heat again this year, and I felt like uh, they're a, they're they're a really interesting brewery from my from my perspective. I wrote in my my piece that Roots means you know like a deception, right? And I think most people think of them as a as a hazy house. Because mm-hmm. they do make a lot of hazy beers and they release cans from the brewery. Right. And as far as I know, the only place you can get the cans is at the brewery. I've never been able to find them outside. The yeah, brewery. I can't say that I've, I've I didn't, remember seeing them outside. Yeah, I didn't have time to go to the brewery. I was considering trying to find one for, for this tasting. Um, but in my view, they make West Coast might be even better. And they're kind of flagship, I guess. It's called Translator. It's one of the few beers that you can find routinely. On. Yeah, you and steered it, me to that one and that was exceptional. Yeah. Exactly. It's one of my favorite full stop. In, in the city. It's just really, really good. It's just classic, but it's dialed in. It has that quality that I was trying to talk about at the start. Like, I don't know 
I don't know how to define why this thing is so good, but it's so good because it's doing these things right. Yeah. Uh, so, or, they, or or why this beer is just better than the others that mm-hmm. are so much like it. There's, it just has that little, yeah, that little extra something that you can't pin down. Yeah. Exactly. Some ghost in there that's <laughs> calling out. And they do other stuff too, uh, but I do think that that almost that they're they're very they're quite a bit more like Breakside than than most breweries and that they're really focused. They do do lagers, but um, not reliably. And, uh, I think their lagers are good. Uh, but, you know, if you go there, you really want to be drinking the IPAs. Yeah. And, and, and that's really when I, when I make these suggestions in a different category, you can drink, of course, whatever beer you want when you go to these breweries, but be alerted that I put those in, in particular categories for certain reasons. Right. So if you want to taste the best that that brewery can do, uh, Look for beers in that category. Yeah. So you can, uh, you don't have to have taken notes uh, listening to the podcast. You can read all of Jeff's uh, notes about these uh, breweries and, and lists in his uh, blog. I'm curious though. Beer Vano blog. Would you, would you have included anybody that I missed? Is there a fave that I, that you like that I don't have in here? Oh, um, well, that's challenging for the reasons that you just said, because it's not just like, oh, I love this beer here, or I love that beer there. Um, no, there's nothing, nothing that immediately jumps out. Uh, I wasn't prepared for this question, so if I thought a little more about it, I might. I mean, that's just the thing. Like, I can, I can name you a half, uh, another dozen or so breweries where I can go and have this wonderful beer that I love. Um, right. But that's not quite the category, right? It's... It's the brewery itself, like what kind of beers. Um, so, n- no, I think you've done a good job. Excellent. <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> if something pops, yeah, if something pops into uh, to my head, but I'm, I'm actually not coming up with too many. I mean, we spend a fair amount of time together and talking about beer together, so we sort of have a fairly common set of breweries that we both believe are exceptional. That is true. Uh, yeah, and there's some that have closed down as well that used to be. Um, and that's also thinking places like Burnside or other places that have had exceptional beers from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so no, right off, right off the top of my head, uh, uh, not uh, the only one that's, that stands out, but I know why it's not here because there isn't a actual physical brewery is Rosenstadt. That's right. Um, and so they would, I would imagine once and I know eventually that's their goal is to have a place. And once they get one, then I would be surprised if they don't show up on your list in the future. Yeah, I did. I did do uh, more than one blog for this series. I kind of had a whole week where I talked about Portland beer. And, I, and the first one, sort of an overview of why Portland is distinctive. Every city is distinctive, but why they're distinctive um, is, of course, varies. So I talked about that in the first post, which is on Monday. And then on uh, Wednesday, I posted different pub crawls you can do and i think those are fun so there's yes. like a half dozen different pub crawls and i included uh olympia provisions uh, uh which, for the division street crawl which is right next to well not right next to it but about a few, a few doors down from little beast and that is where most uh, you'll find the greatest concentration of roses tap beers so if yeah. you if you've heard about a brewery and you want to check it out uh it's it's likely in one of those pub crawls that I list. So you can look at that and see what, what else is around. They're designed to be walkable. So, yeah. um, and they, they have breweries that are not on my main list, the list that we just talked about today, which, which dropped today, Friday, um, by the time you hear it, it will be last week. But Yeah, it's not a bad uh, idea for the future is coming up with the best places where you can sample many different beers from many different breweries. So the best beer pubs, maybe you've already done this. But... I threw a couple in. I threw Beermongers and Loyal Legion in. Um, Loyal Legion, I think, is one of the better breweries. They own or better uh, uh, tap rooms um, for sampling Oregon beer because they only do Oregon beer. That's all the only beer they do. And they have, I don't know, they have a lot of taps too. They probably have 30 taps or 40 yeah. taps or something. So. Yeah, and take good care of the beer. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, read all about this in the Beer Vana blog that Jeff uh, has written. It's out today, right? It came out this morning? Well, it came out today for recording this. Uh, uh, well, that's true. Last week, as you're listening to it, <laughs> uh, it's out now. <laughs> there you are. It's it's up now. So, but just a quick recap: so, for the hops breweries, Jeff 
uh, singled out Breakside, Great Notion, Ruse, and Threshold, for Lagers, Von Ebert, Wayfinder, and Zeugelhaus, for Wild and Oak Aged Beers, Little Beast, and Upright. The Generalists were Berlick, Ex Novo, and Gigantic. The Traditionalists were Away Days and Level. And then the Transplants, Ten Barrel, Chuckanut, and Deschutes. Awesome. There you go. Well done, by Great. the way. We're That's running it. long. And, uh, we, have a, we, have a, we have a mailbag. I need to get to next week. Uh, we have a thin mailbag. Oh, yeah, we are running long. We better uh, wrap this sucker up. We can wrap this sucker up, and we will uh, get to John Newman's comment question. What a tease. What a tease. Yeah. Tune, in, tune in next week. Same place, same time. What is John going to X-Ray FM or on your favorite podcast provider. That's right. All right. Well, we should get out of here. So a few words. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We really would. So please send your questions or comments to Jeff at BeerVonTheBlog.com. That's the first best. But you can also uh, find us on Twitter and, and, and on Instagram, both at Beer on a pod. That's right. And I've, I've started to engage on the Instagram. Oh, good. Uh, including, uh, I, I, got a, I, got a, I got a question for next week's mailbag. Okay. So, Another uh, tease we, for next yeah, week. Yeah, we can do this. All right. Uh, Jeff blogs at the Beer Vana blog. That's where you can find the best breweries list. And he tweets at Beer Vana. Uh, I, oh, you're supposed to say this. You also tweet at <laughs> Beer Vana. And actually, you sometimes Instagram at the Beer Vana pod. Instagram. I do. I try once yeah. in a while, but usually, I always usually, I forget about the Instagram because I'm old. Exactly. You usually only remember when you're sitting across from me drinking a beer. But. That's right. True. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I actually have two beers. I'm going to have an upright Fantasia. And I've got a little bit of the threshold of green prophecies. All right. So cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Cheers.